committee, I welcome you with open arms. Is that so? How late do you stay open? You don't understand. I could have had class. I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. I hope they are watching. They'll see. They'll see and they'll know. And they'll say, that she wouldn't even harm a fly. What's up, everybody? You're listening to NoCo Cinema here on WGM+. Plus. We are your guide to cinema here in the city of Chicago. I am Tom Hush. And I'm Connor Cornelius. And we are really excited to be back with you. We had a little bit of a hiatus yes, there. Yes, but uh, for uh, the regular listeners, you are not just hearing normal Tom Hush from WGN. You are now hearing newly minted full-time producer at WGN, Tom Hush. Yes. So let's get a little round of applause Yay. here Woo! for the people in the studio. Big congrats. That's Big congrats. right. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, that's that's the main explanation for where we've been the last couple of weeks. It's been a very big whirlwind. Uh, yes, I am now the full time producer of the Nick DeGilio show here at WGN. So you can hear me uh, pretty much every week morning uh, from one to five a.m. Every week morning. Every week morning. Same week morning day. Same week morning time. Yes. <laughs> so if you're ever up at that time uh, looking for something to listen to, you can listen to us. Of course, uh, you can hear all of that podcasted by yours truly on WGNRadio.com. In addition to No Coast. Uh, but it's good to be back in the studio doing this. I know. Um, yeah, it's, it's a beautiful, been, beautiful day. Yeah, until the snow comes uh, tomorrow, Sunday. Uh-huh. Be, you're hearing this on Monday. Uh, and uh, so, so a little this, bit of a time traveler's experience. Yeah, so the uh, the weather is good right now. Probably not so good next couple of days. Um, you can also hear both of us uh, doing uh, introducing and uh, moderating Q and A for Nick Alonzo's new film Decaf Don. Yes, yes, that's going to be April twenty sixth over at sixty seven forty, which is uh, same building as the new four hundred theater. Yeah, there's a new like micro cinema space that yeah. just recently got started. Yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff. It's going to be part of uh, Cinema Obscura, so you'll see our good friend John Davies there. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, check out, you know, if you haven't listened to it already, make sure to check out my conversation with uh, Nick from our good friend Nick Alonzo, and also the cinematographer of the film, Greg. Uh, it's it was really fun chatting with them, and uh, really excited about Decaf Don. Really excited to uh, have them showing it at the Micro Cinema. Uh, we've got a really great interview coming up. Going to be talking with the uh, the cast, some of the cast, and the writer director of A Missed Connection, a new film uh, that we're really excited about. We haven't gotten to see the whole thing, but we've gotten uh, a great preview, and it looks like a really fantastic. Uh, piece a really fantastic film so we'll be talking a little bit about that but we want to start off with uh, a piece of chicago pop culture news we are talking about indie cinema as we always do but but uh, first but first we're going to talk about like the single largest franchise in the history of fucking franchises yeah uh star wars celebration happening right now here in chicago and yesterday we were treated to the reveal of uh not only the title of the new Star Wars film, but also the uh, first teaser of the new Star Wars film. Um, it's going to be called uh, Rise of Skywalker. The Rise the of Rise. Skywalker. Yes. yes. Uh, so that's, that's that's a really a t- perfect opportunity to introduce our guests here who probably know more about the situation <laughs> than I do, honestly. So we have Matthew Weinstein, who is the writer-director of A Misconnection. Kimberly Vaughn, who is also uh, who is an actor on A Misconnection, and Tyler Pistorius, who is the hello. other actor. Yes. Yes. Everyone say hello. Hello there. Hi. How's it going? Good. It's, go- <laughs> it's going welcome, good. Welcome to the beautiful uh, Skyline studio here at WGN Radio. We certainly yeah, cannot thank beat you so the much. view here. Yeah. Chicago's, Chicago's definitely living up to uh, its reputation as the windy city today, yeah. especially. Yeah, yes. No kidding. It's, it's, it's a windy one, but uh, plenty... <laughs> plenty of windfall of conversation as you, as you mentioned the uh, title of the new star wars i mean they might as well just call it like no one's ever really dead that's what it yeah. should be called yeah right well, that's a direct line in the trailer too yeah no one's ever really gone and then um uh for those who haven't seen the trailer yet i mean what are you doing like i i have not <laughs> seen the trailer i have not seen the trailer and i could care less about star wars kimberly, no, right. kimberly and i are a little bit like mm-hmm. yoda in our self-imposed exile yes. of, of you uh, know yes. <laughs> 
or, 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 or like Luke Skywalker in The Last not. Jedi, like that self-imposed exile. Exactly. On, uh, whatever yeah. that pl- whatever that island is, like Aktu or Achu um, or something like that. <laughs> you know more about it than I do. Yeah. But um, yeah, I actually was at the Star Wars celebration yesterday, mm-hmm. and that was when they had the panel with uh, Stephen Colbert as the uh, as the host and everything really? like that. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, and then uh, they brought on Anthony Daniels and Billy D. Williams, and then like um, the majority of the principal cast. Um, uh, Mark Hamill uh, was uh, conspicuously absent from it, um, although I know he's supposed to be in the movie. Uh, he's credited at least on IMDb. I'm not sure if he's if he ha- was unavailable for whatever reason, or if uh, because he's too busy of, voicing Chucky in the new Chucky. Movie. Yeah, that is. Seriously. Oh, that's right. He's playing Chucky. Yeah, or or if it was because of like the whole PR thing from the Last Jedi, because uh, he did kind of. Uh, He's a little bit uh, frank about how he felt about the portrayal of Luke Skywalker. So right. he's like, maybe not have him on the uh, the, the yeah. press campaign for this. Uh, but that's that's purely uh, conjecture. That's all. Uh, that's all uh, uh, hypothetical. Now, um, I want to ask about the the reaction to it because obviously the last Star Wars movie just in cinema culture represented an interesting breaking point for uh, one of the largest fan bases in, yes. in pop culture. No mm-hmm. um, you know, people. I watched the live stream and it seemed like people were really really excited. But granted, we're taking the sample size of people at mm-hmm. Star Wars Celebration, right? Uh, folks who are generally considered super fans of this franchise. I mean, the, it was a crazy energy there like it, it, to the point where it was kind of infectious in a way mm-hmm. and um yeah in regards to the last jedi like i'm kind of in the middle with that movie like i'm not in the extreme love camp or in the raw seething hatred camp it's damn just, what's like, that it's, like to have a measured opinion about a movie got, uh it's actually a really lonely lonely place <laughs> <laughs> it's I, i'm actually i'm actually in the same boat as him because i there are things about it i like and there's things i really don't and i've only seen it all the way through twice and that was mm-hmm. when i saw it in theaters mm-hmm. and it's it's interesting just how personal I feel people you know really take to Star Wars. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, I guess it's just a nostalgic thing, and I, I guess to some degree I'm more agnostic when it comes to Star Wars. I don't. Mm-hmm. I, I I like to watch the movies. I look forward to the movies, but I mean, I wouldn't find myself necessarily getting into a deep discussion in regards to myth and lore and what mm-hmm. have you yeah it's hard to be a super fan of something that to my perspective just seems to be sort of run-of-the-mill science fiction i guess like the original movies just seem very <laughs> boilerplate sci-fi I, well i guess what's mm-hmm. funny is when the year that last jedi came out i was just like i, I mean it could go either way, but I'm just glad that Blade Runner 2049 was awesome. Yeah, right? yes, yes. I, I got, we got that. Yeah, we got that, which is good. And uh, although that one didn't do so well financially, yeah. I feel like uh, time is going to be very kind to it. Time's which, already like, being sure. kind to sure. it. Absolutely, we're now, still talking about it. Now, Kimberly, you are not a fan of Star Wars. Have you seen any yeah. of them? Um, I've seen some. I cannot remember the names. That's um, no, that's all good. And I've fallen asleep a lot. <laughs> the one that I did, Actually, one that I did like is Revenge. Of the Sith, I think yes. With Anakin, with him turning into Darth, Darth Vader, yeah. Yeah. oh yeah, that's yeah. Sexy. <laughs> <laughs> and nobody liked Actually, it. Actually, <laughs> if I'm, I, I might be telling tales out of school, but I know I wasn't there. But my eldest brother, he lives here in the West Loop. He, he and his now wife and some of their friends, and I think her cousin, they went to go see the Last Jedi late at night at the uh, Block Thirty Seven. I believe his wife had fallen asleep. Yes, because I mean it was late, and it's a very long movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no problems. No problem with that. I I fall into the extreme love category for the Last Jedi, but that's neither here nor there. Mm-hmm. What, I what do you think? Of, what do you think of the line? Let's go Chrome Dome. I'm, I'm, that's, Initially, give it to what me. Does it mean? Like literally it, it, injected into my veins. It's, it's, like, it's, in like, yeah. it's in reference to a character, Darth Phasma, I think. Uh, or, or Captain is, Captain Phasma, Captain, Captain, Phasma yeah. who's played by uh, Gwendolyn Christie. Yep. Uh, who we who we all know that is uh, Brienne of Tarth of Game of Thrones. And True. Brianna Tarth, I, I believe, could. <laughs> I believe uh, Brianna Tarth could probably kick the asses of everybody in, uh, especially these new Star Wars movies or even like the old ones. Yeah, yeah. she's a really awesome, imposing figure. Yeah, she is. Well, yeah. pretty much everything I've seen her in. Well, what what is curious to me about Star Wars or any fan base in general is, um, you know, I always get really annoyed by fan entitlement. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I yeah. feel like with any sort of franchise, I mean, we could be talking about anything, and people always be feel a certain level of entitlement. And uh, you know, the the Last Jedi was such a divisive thing. There was kind of a, a schism throughout the entire fan base mm-hmm. that generally rallied behind the the Force Awakens. Yes, people admitted that it was basically a remake of the original, but right. it was still really good. It was in terms of it was entertaining. It had all the hallmarks of the series. Blah 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 but um right now there's this rallying cry that disney this global conglomerate that has now subsumed uh 20th century fox into its into its (laughs) ranks uh has somehow ruined this franchise and i couldn't help but you know 20 years ago this year star wars returned yet again you know for the first time really after its original uh three movies and, Just to um, ruin all of the baby boomers' favorite memories, right? <laughs> well, and it was it was incredibly toxic uh, rhetoric around it. Um, people yeah. were using, and I, I apologize for using the term, but uh, you had a bunch of baby boomers and Gen Xers saying that uh, George Lucas raped their childhood, which I think is yeah. grossly inappropriate mm-hmm. and so uh, so toxic to use for a fucking science fiction franchise. Um, but now we're hearing some of the same thing in terms of Disney has somehow ruined star Wars. And I wanted to just point out to the entire star Wars fan base, literally 20 years ago this year, you were saying the exact same thing and you were saying it, but it just wasn't Disney. So I don't see how Disney has done anything different than what happened 20 years ago. And, I, and it's interesting, like, I've also seen, like, people retroactively recognize the prequel trilogy as being not so bad or, yeah, or right. be superior compared to these new movies. I mean, for me, my favorites are Empire Strikes Back and uh, Star Wars, which is also known as A New Hope, and then followed yeah. by Return of the Jedi, and then uh, the rest is, like, kind of, like, hit or miss for me, but this is that's just me. Um, after seeing the trailer for The Rise of Skywalker, I am kind of curious to see where it's going to go. I feel like it's probably going to recreate a lot of beats from Return of the Jedi, like, because you see, like, the fallen Death Star, I think it's supposed mm-hmm. to be the second one. And I think that's where, like, um, uh, Sheev Palpatine, uh, w- one of the greatest characters in motion picture history, uh, is going to be residing, although he died in uh, Return of the Jedi and stuff. But um, it's weird that, like, with the existence of these new movies, like, people are, like, either changing their minds about the prequels or something like that, which I that's something I really don't get. It's usually it's the same people who uh, were saying the same things about right. the prequels back when they came out. I mean, in regards to the prequels, it's like if, you know, for me, they just didn't work. Like there were some good ideas in there, but overall, sure. it just there, didn't quite work. There for have me. been there were some good moments in the prequels, but mm-hmm. they ultimately anything with Palpatine. That's a yeah. great moment. That's, right, that's all gold. Some of the some <laughs> of the action was good, but I just think it was missing not just like the heart and the humor and the spirit, but also like I, I guess this goes to a technical thing, but like latter two prequels were shot digitally unlike the other films mm-hmm. and the which were all I think on, it was shot on film i think a core problem with the prequels is that there's not much of a mystery because we know what's going to happen that's mm-hmm. the problem with prequels that's something that yeah. even someone like sir ridley scott kind of missed the point of when he went and did prometheus and then mm-hmm. alien covenant mm-hmm. two movies that i thoroughly enjoy me, me too, too. Uh, honestly me too i, I haven't I haven't, <laughs> I haven't i haven't seen alien covenant yet uh, it's, I, Watch me. I'll do the fingering. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, but that, just, that line. Just imagine if Alien were actually just uh, like a romantic era science fiction. So it's like it's but, Alien if it were written by Mary Shelley, but and it's fucking awesome. Yeah, I mean, that's one way to look at it. But my my problem is the original Alien. It it's just you know a haunted house movie, and I just like the idea that the first time you come across th- these creatures. It was when they landed on LV-246. That's the name of the planet, right? Right. 426. Yeah, 426. Okay. I was yeah, close. Come on, man. You get your facts right. <laughs> yeah. Isn't well, Either way. Before <laughs> we got to get these bef- made-up uh, number, uh, yeah. number assignments for made-up planets. This is yeah. serious Otherwise, who business, are we? people. Yeah. <laughs> before we get too into the weeds here, I, uh, I, I had know. one question, Tom. Okay. I'm sorry to cut you off. Yes. But I, I think just a good way to maybe wrap this all up would be, do you guys think that with these franchises that have gone back to kind of explain things that maybe didn't need uh, explaining would it have been better to maybe just leave them alone uh, yes yes absolutely well, I, some certain things just don't need to be explained like never underestimate the power of the imagination right mm-hmm. so i i like it better the first time you saw han solo in a movie was when he sat down and he said hi i'm han solo captain millennium falcon 
That's all you're you just, need to know. That's I mean, you did the Kessel Run and blah blah. Who gives a well, shit? Like twelve <laughs> parsecs yeah. or something like and that. And then they made a movie out of a throwaway line. <laughs> that was yeah. my only. That was the only part of that movie that I liked. So was, well, now there's a meme that generated from Solo where it's young Solo saying, you know, or young Lando saying, "I'm going to get my ship back," and Han says, "Over my dead body." And then it goes, <laughs> you see uh, older uh, Lando, yeah, Lando flying the Falcon, <laughs> and he's got a, the Skywalker trailer. Got you, bitch. Um, <laughs> which I'll admit that moment in the trailer did make me smile. I'm looking and, forward uh, to seeing Lando again. Mm-hmm. We'll and, see. and, I, and I will say, like uh, with the whole like notion that this is being called the Rise of Skywalker. Um, like I said, although I'm somewhere in the middle with the Last Jedi, I'm curious as to like what how this film is going to like answer the questions that were raised with the Last Jedi, and perhaps like if it explains it in a way that is organic Reconning. and makes sense, uh, mm-hmm. then I could probably like kind of look back on the Last Jedi with a little bit more appreciation. Like I said, I don't mm-hmm. hate the movie; it's just that. Uh, there are parts of it that really work, and then, like, at the same time, there's a little bit too much bathos in it. Like, there's some serious moments, and then all of a sudden, it's, like, undercut with a joke. Yeah. Sure, yeah. The marvelization I, I, of Star Wars has true, begun. True. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what? I also agree. Not everything needs to be explained. I, I, I no. still don't know where babies come from, so... Uh, I can tell you. That's why I'm here, right? We'll explain that. <laughs> yeah. Kimberly, don't do this. Just... If, if these if these mics were capable of being removed from the thing, that would have been a mic drop moment. Yeah. So, All right, let's thank let's, you, Kimberly, for providing a perfect segue into, into a misconnection. Uh, so, talk a mis- about a misconnection. Yeah, a, a misconnection. Uh, new film. Uh, again, we have. Uh, Matt Weinstein, writer and director. We have Kimberly Vaughn, one of the stars, and also Tyler Pistorius, one of the stars. Uh, Matt, why don't you take us through what is A Misconnection? A Misconnection is a short film, and it's essentially a present tense story about reconnecting and uh, going over the past. It's essentially two former college friends that randomly meet up at a coffee shop during a long winter night, and they reconnect. A very a very simple sort of capsule story and um very character and dialogue driven. Yes. And you when did you write this film? <laughs> Late two thousand twelve. <laughs> Late two wow. I know. And it's funny because I've had the script written and I've been trying to get it off the ground and get it made in the intervening years, but ultimately this is you know, I think that you just kind of take an inventory of what transpires and the time that passed between initially writing it and getting it made and getting it just about you know completely finished Mm -hmm. it really helped as far as the writing and the script because there were so many things that were allowed to be explored and ultimately enhanced the final script at least before production and it just continued to be enhanced as we got further along you know into production and even in editing so we met at the Woman of the Now showcase about a year ago, and you and that was we just kind of happened to be sitting next to each other, which is where we initially exchanged information and everything. And you said that you were still working on this. Do you feel like the extra time that you got to put into doing this has helped turn out? Uh, did you like change anything if you didn't have that time? Do you think that it would have become a you know? Kind of a dumb question, maybe, but just a less of a finished product. Well, actually, at that point, we had shot the movie, and it's been, it was at the point, you know, assembled and edited. There's mm-hmm. still some fine-tuning left, and that's really what took place over that summer. And really, the time since then was just to get all the color grade, the mix, well, the music, and then the mix, and just get that as perfect as we can get it. And, I mean, there's still some minor tweaking to happen, but... Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel it's at a place that I am really excited to show people at. And I mean, I could talk for I could talk for hours, but I I wouldn't be in this. I wouldn't be sitting here talking about it if I wasn't, uh, you know, if I didn't have Tyler and Kimberly here to make the movie. And that's that's how it turned out as well as it did. In addition to a lot of contributions. I mean, I'll I'll name drop uh, Megan St. John, who's a producer. Uh, Tom Kinsel, who's the cinematographer, and Andrew Smith, who's also the assistant cameraman and the editor. Uh, Mark Bartels, who did the music and the sound mix. And Pascal Palicki, who is not only done the sound on set, but also an executive producer. Yes. We're, we're always like amazed at the amount of man and, well, people power that it's it takes entire to village. get exactly that it takes to actually turn out a movie so this and again you showed us about six minutes of the film um and it definitely comes across it's a very intensely personal thing for you what was it like involving kimberly and tyler when you what led you to make the choice to involve them in the film it was always tyler from the beginning 
<laughs> oh man, Mike, that's a that's a twist. <laughs> <laughs> it was always Tyler. It was. <laughs> Turns out they were all already Tyler. <laughs> so uh, so again, t- Tyler, tell us about your involvement in the film and getting uh, getting on board. Well, because. Um, Matt and I, because we, we've been friends for a number of years now, and mm-hmm. um, it was around like 2012, 2013 that uh, Matt, you have been talking to me about wanting to make a misconnection at some point uh, later in your career. And this is before we did The Gun Equation. And uh, this is around the time that we did the uh, the 21-hour project with uh, uh, Expats Theater, which is sadly no longer with us. Um, and yeah, as I continue to read each new draft, um, and just kind of looking at the character of Jake, uh, it's interesting like I, I stopped at a certain point i stopped looking at the character as like oh this is like possibly an extension of matt i don't know for sure because you know when it comes to creation like you don't you're not always what you make so mm-hmm. uh and then i just look at the character of jake and just see like how can i identify with this person it's like oh let's see i remember in college just being kind of you know awkward and shy and uncomfortable in my own skin and couldn't didn't re- couldn't really express how i felt and so i just would would basically just be kind of withdrawn and then mm-hmm. just to kind of look back as like, Oh, perhaps if I had, if I had tried this, uh, maybe, maybe my life would be completely different from where it is now. And then I, I used to look back on that with like a lot of regrets. And then of course the older I get, it's like, no, like I'm, I'm where I'm at now uh, for a reason. And uh, the rest of my fate is not certain. And that's one of my big draws to the character of Jake. And I was really interested in uh, tapping into that. Well, let's touch a little bit on the, uh, the, um, events of the film. So basically, Tyler, your character Jake is in a coffee shop. Mm-hmm. Uh, his his life is uh, li- almost literally strewn across uh, a stool. You know, you've got a briefcase <laughs> full of papers. We're not really sure like what it is or anything like that. Uh, but you are uh, actively pouring like what whiskey or something oh, into your yeah, coffee. Yeah, spiking his coffee with whiskey. Yeah. So it's like okay, this this person is. Uh, Clearly need to uh, wet, uh, wet his beak a little bit yes. in order to get through the day. Things uh, are rough. And uh, from there, enter Kimberly's character. She is supposed to be meeting someone for dinner, and things, you know, don't exist. You get a phone call. All of a sudden, that, that goes out the window, and uh, you wind up in the coffee shop with Tyler, and a conversation ensues. Uh, Kimberly, tell us a little bit about your character and your involvement in the film. Yeah. Um, well, first up, I want to say piggybacking off um what tyler said i thought this was completely personal and i kept asking matthew i was like okay tell me like this is you right this is totally (laughs) personal like you wrote a letter to a girl that you really wanted but you never sent it and i I just kept asking you about it but i and i still think it's personal but did you ever answer my question (laughs) i think i might i think i might have a long time ago we have an opportunity right now maybe a little buzzed but um yeah my character I feel like is a bit close to self where it's just like easily disappointed um, just coming in and then being like excited. And then her date just falls through and it's just like, well, I'm already here. I just might as well just stick it out. Then I see him, uh, Tyler's character. And then we have a great conversation. Then I find out that he liked me this whole time. And it's just like, again, disappointed. Like, why weren't you just upfront? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, right. Yeah. Real about the situation. So I felt like it was a little bit close to me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, have you personally experienced that in your life where you have a quote unquote misconnection? Um, I think so. Um, I think I have probably be hard not to honestly. Right. I think it's a pretty, it's a thing that uh, could, a lot of people probably share. Pretty universal situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's completely missed. Like once it's like out there, and it's usually too late for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I thought was going to happen um, with the end of this, right? Didn't you change? The ending did change. Yes. It changed even during production. And yes. I mean, one day you'll see. I don't want to spoil it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because uh, the change of. Uh, I'm not going to describe what the change is, but I remember uh, once we had uh, once we felt like we got enough takes. I asked uh, Matt, uh, "Do you mind if we do one more?" And I wanted to try something a little different. And well, that's in the movie. That's mm-hmm. what you see in the movie. It was and, fucking brilliant. And was this something that you brought yourself, or did you did you clear I, it with him before you no, did it, or was I, it? I, did, I had he had no idea what I was going to do. Um, and of course, um, <laughs> while we were making this, because um, the thing is, like filmmaking, like the, the days are long. And it's always important to like come in with like a good sense of humor. And Matt and Kimberly have both uh, come uh, intimately acquainted with my uh, morbid, <laughs> fucked up sense of humor. Sometimes, which will come up during a take. And uh, <laughs> and so, of course, I'm, I'm I can't imagine how terrified Matt must have been when I'm like, when I was during the last day of shooting and the the last shot. 
was like, hey, Matt, can I try something? Because Matt probably was like, oh, God, is he going to like say something really inappropriate or something <laughs> like that? Is he going to do something completely <laughs> out of character? What's he going to do? But the thing is, like, it, it, the moment came to me as we were sh- filming this and just kind of seeing like how this was all playing out. And I was thinking, oh, how is this going to look? How is this going to read? What if I tried it this way? And so I didn't tell him what it was. But then, um, then we do the scene, and I do what I do. And then uh, I basically I, – I don't even think uh, – I think Matt called cut after I go, that's, yeah, that's, that's it. <laughs> Check the gate. That's in the picture. Mm-hmm. That's that's a wrap. Um, with with this sort of story, obviously, it's a very intimate story of two people going over the past and their their current situations. Um, and I wanted to get a read, Kimberly and Tyler. Uh, what was it like working with each other uh, as these characters? Were there any particular difficulties um, establishing your guys' relationship, or was it kind of an easy sort of uh, way to step into the roles? I felt like it was really easy to step into the roles and to work with Tyler. I mean, mm-hmm. you have to say the same for me. Oh, oh. <laughs> I was about to say the same. Exactly. Okay, so. good. Yeah. Uh, no, um, I had so much fun working with Tyler. I know like we would always just like laugh and just always, it would just always seem natural, mm-hmm. uh, especially during the late hours of shooting. We're just like, mm-hmm. you know, out of it, slap happy. Yeah. Um, but coming into character, uh, it honestly just felt natural. Um, I felt sometimes there were, there was a language where I was like, this is not what I would say, but I guess, of course, with acting, like, this is what the character would say. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so it was kind of that between Matt and I. But, yeah. I mean, for me, it didn't feel like work at all, uh, working with Kimberly. Like, it, it was so much fun. It felt really easy. I felt very comfortable. Um because she, she's completely on top of her game. I mean, Kimberly, you were, I thought you were brilliant in this. And uh, for me, it's just sort of like, oh, I can relax now. It's like, and all I, all I gotta do is just make sure that I'm constantly present in the moment between action and cut, and that's all that matters. Yes. So, it takes a, a special kind of person to be involved in the film industry because it's a pretty unforgiving craft, from mm-hmm. what I mm-hmm. from what I can tell. And I think that it's a good opportunity to maybe talk a little bit about the, you know, about your guys' histories with film, why you guys got into it, and why you guys are continuing to do it now. Because, I mean, if you look like, just on paper, what you guys were doing, you're working like 12-hour days, you know, in you filmed it in the winter, in Chicago winter, which is one of the worst winters in the entire country that you could probably deal with. So what was the... What was the impetus for you guys to become actors and Matthew for you to become a writer and a and a director? We'll start with Kimberly. Um, I didn't know at first. I'll make this pretty brief. I didn't know at first I wanted to act. I just knew I wanted to be on TV and be seen. Um, so I went to Columbia College and then I took an improv class and then I was introduced to Second City. So I work at Second City on the main stage and I mostly do theater. I mostly did straight plays. Um, and like Jack Lope, other storefronts. And then getting into film, like, it was so great to have Matthew because he was just like, I saw you in an other film that I did for um, an, one of your friends. Dan Marcus. Dan! Uh, Dan Marcus. <laughs> Closure. Come on oh the show, God. Dan. He's in LA, but He's so give him a sweet. little shout out nonetheless. Fly, yes. <laughs> fly out here and come on the show. Um, yeah, so um, Matthew saw me in that, and then he was just like, okay, um, let's get you. I don't think I auditioned either. I don't remember shit. <laughs> we did, it sounds like it was a while ago. It right? was a while ago. We had an initial meeting and then another meeting where I wanted you to meet Tyler. Yes, and how mm-hmm. we read together. Okay, yep. yes. But there was uh, never like actually official like just audition. Yeah. So thank you. That was really such a blessing uh, to just go into it and have that opportunity. Um, so I'm still trying to get more involved in like TV and film and be mm-hmm. more comfortable because on stage I feel like it's fine but on camera i'm like okay. well it's a totally different <laughs> realm you know it's in on stage you have an audience to feed from yeah um it's you know your your actions are going to be a lot bigger because you're playing to a a room whereas you know on the camera you're doing things that are very subtle and even in the brief amount of footage that we've gotten to see from a misconnection uh both you and tyler do have a great ability to capture smaller things that translate really well on the camera and oh, thank it, you. it thank really you. excited thank us you. means a lot to see that. it feels like when you do small things you're like am i even doing anything like mm-hmm. this is shit is it but being the, captured but, yeah yeah but the viewer is getting every single frame of it and uh, and it it, re- it really works and it's a beautiful looking film by the way yeah seriously uh, I give all props to Tom who shot the hell out of it yeah it yeah. looks it looks great um you know it, what was your again what was your history in terms of getting into directing 
I've just always loved movies and I've always been fascinated by storytelling and I just little by little got involved and I just the love of seeing something from its inception all the way to its completion. There's just something thrilling about that. And it's, it's a marathon. It's not, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. Mm -hmm. And you, you, you learn patience as well as stamina because stamina, because it's going to be a grind at times, but patience also, because it's going to be, you know, there's a lot of weight, you know, hurry up and wait in between the big peaks you know, as I've, you've touched upon earlier, you know, when we met last year, I was still working on it. And, and it was at that point that production had wrapped and we were into editing. So, I mean, event, it's all for a good purpose, though. It's all for making the best possible version. And I get a thrill out of seeing something that you, especially when you conceive of it, the idea, and seeing it completed, it, there's no greater thrill than to eventually show it in front of a large audience on a big screen. It's humbling, actually, because you're spending most times watching it on a small screen, you know, whether it's a laptop, a computer screen, a big screen TV. But to show it on like a big theater screen in front of hundreds of people, that's there's no greater thrill. And writing can be a bit of a heart-wrenching process. So to know that you really spent the time to make sure that you created what need to give the story do service to the story that you were trying to tell. I think that's really important. It helped having both Tyler and Kimberly because that's how certain things were enhanced before production, you know, ideas that they had. And even, you know, people like Megan had ideas as well. I originally wrote the script as a means of giving myself something to direct. I had a directing project back in 2012 that fall, fell apart. And I wrote this as like a means of like, well, this is something I know. I'll, I'll write this and I can direct it. It could be simple because it's dialogue. You know, they say dialogue is cheap, but things just kind of happened the way they did and eventually i made a short film called the gun equation with tyler and what was great about that film was while i didn't initially write it i did some uncredited rewriting on it just to, to fine-tune and sort of enhance and expand some things but what was great about the gun equation not to put it up on a pedestal but it relied primarily it relied on pure cinema it relied on visuals sound effects there was besides some voiceover there was no dialogue so it made it was a natural progression i felt to go from something like that which showed you know some visual panache and be like okay let's do something a little bit simpler but you know a different challenge nonetheless mm -hmm. well dialogue is always a difficult thing because you're uh you're you're always in danger of falling into something that is seems disingenuous or something that seems like overly constructed hell. right yeah mm -hmm. exactly um you know even for a film like let's say uh you know, someone like Quentin Tarantino is love him or hate him is often pointed to as a uh, person that can write a certain style of, of dialogue or personally, my favorite dialogue is written by someone like Diablo Cody. Mm -hmm. Um, that is, uh, easily to, easy to follow, but still stylized and doesn't feel, um, completely, uh, out of place. Or you could take the link later route, which is like so naturalistic that it yeah. basically isn't even written. Right. It's like people just kind of talking and, um, trying to, to ride a line between something that is that flows and um you know feels feels natural while still telling a story as you said what was it expositional hell <laughs> that's it's so difficult because uh, there's so many movies that i watch where i'm just like you can see the the cogs turning right mm -hmm. and we got to explain this let's just throw it in yeah, an actor's mouth yeah and it's not even stylized to the point of being cool or like you know like yes i understand that this is movie dialogue but it's rad or as naturalistic as like oh it seems like they're coming up with it on the spot um is it is it was there something that you uh drew on inspirationally for a misconnection that uh you know style wise di huh. in dialogue well kind of but i'm actually surprised that you didn't mention aaron sorkin oh yeah yeah well no well kidding. i mean you didn't <laughs> there's have a reason for that yeah <laughs> I, I and i love aaron sorkin uh just rewatched steve steve jobs last night oh, yeah. i i was, really like that, that that's a great that's, that's a the great one film. with fastbender right yep yeah lots of i love a good walk and talk <laughs> yeah. i'm a big fan of the west wing um but is that <laughs> <laughs> i mean i mean i like sorkin i like sorkin a lot and he's one of those guys that like makes all his characters kind of like a certain level of intelligence like there's so much quippier than any human being actually is in real life but it works mm -hmm. um you know so 
but I, I would say for a misconnection again from the from the amount that I've seen uh, to all the listeners, we have not seen the full film, but to the amount I've seen, um, it's it never feels like I'm uh, watching a movie. I'm, I feel like I'm really watching a couple of people just talking about an actual experience that they've had. Obviously, credit to Kimberly and Tyler, but also credit to the dialogue because you know it it can definitely you know something like that can veer into melodrama. You know, lots of shouting or, uh, you know, people oh, yeah. just saying, like, you're, you're breaking my heart. Yeah. <laughs> you're tearing me apart, Lisa. Yeah. And I, I will say this. Even from the little bit that we did get to see, I thought that there was a night. I'm, I might have just I might just be overanalyzing it a little bit. But I think that there was a good you struck a good balance between the people, you know, like Kimberly on the phone with the person that stood her up and Tyler, uh, you know, and Tyler and Kimberly's conversation in the coffee shop, but I thought that there was a good uh, situation where you were kind of explaining things without actually saying them. Like when uh, Tyler is going through the briefcase and he pulls out the piece of paper that says, it doesn't matter. Is that the line? I can't. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter. And he closes it and he starts drinking. And then when he's speaking with Kimberly and she asks why he stopped writing and he just says that exact thing. So I thought that there was kind of a cool, like, the the innards of the briefcase kind of representing and showing the audience what is kind of going on inside Tyler's mind. It's a little bit muddied, you know, it's a little bit run over and everything and, and rumpled up and disheveled. And I thought that that was a, I thought that that was a, uh, a nice way to represent how, you know, what Tyler's mind state is in the, in that moment. Well, thank you. Well, Matt is a very good friend of mine, and he knows me very well. And yes, my mind is quite disheveled. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course, talking about Tyler the actor, yeah. not not the character no, yeah. which no. he is portraying. I, I just I just loved how you described that. Yeah. It's like that's that's actually really yeah. funny. <laughs> so, I mean, obviously, you've touched on your past with uh, Matt and the stuff that you've worked on. But mm-hmm. um, what were you doing prior to that? Like, what got your you into acting, Tyler? Um, well, like Matt, I uh, I just grew up with the movies. Uh, like one of the things that I would always thumb through uh, that my parents had was the tv guys because we had a direct tv and uh this is back in the early 90s when we first had direct tv so that was like a really big deal we had like the did you have like the giant giant dish oh my god it was massive <laughs> with like with all types of uh hbo channels and cinemax and showtime and uh we then had wow. like the independent film channel and then like there was whenever stars was a brand new thing and so and i would check the tv guides and uh, look into movies like okay which one's got like four stars or three stars or something like that that was sort of how i started uh, but then as I got older, I started like, getting into things like the Criterion Collection and um, and kind of paying attention to certain actors. Like uh, one of my favorite actors uh, growing up was uh, Gary Oldman. And so like anytime he did a movie, I had to watch it. Uh, I even watched uh, Tiptoes just because he was in it. <laughs> um, uh, do not watch Tiptoes. <laughs> um, and then when I was a teenager, uh, my parents had uh, a they basically had like a Christmas light and Christmas tree uh, display in their house where we had like crowds of people coming in to check them out. And then out of nowhere, I just started uh, going into this whole spiel about how I uh, put up all the trees. I did all the lights. I described all the ornaments and I would go as far as to say, and I had no help from my parents, which was all complete and utter lies. (laughs) And my parents just looked at me. It's like, who, who is this he's a visual storyteller like who who what happened to my son like i've never seen him do this because i was always like a bit more quiet and reserved and then something just like came out of me right then and there and then and i think is whenever i started to realize like oh i can actually entertain people and like put on something that i'm not oh this is kind of fun and so then i would do theater in high school then that led to uh, my time at niu which is where i met matt i did theater there and then uh as i as I and I did a number of uh, shows in Chicago, and then I started to graduate more towards uh, being in front of the camera, which was what I've always wanted to do. Uh, although I never uh, went to uh, train for acting on the camera, particularly uh, one of the things that I always notice in terms of like where the camera placement is is like, oh, if the camera is capturing this much of my face, this is how much I need to give. It's like I can, I don't have to do anything in my arms, I don't have to do anything in my back, just what happens in the face that's all that matters and that's going to be able to read it so it's it's like this is how close the audience is compared to on the stage where you have an audience that's like you know even sometimes as far as like 100 feet away from you or even further than mm-hmm. that it's like okay that's how much you have to play to it so and uh 
Were there yeah. any particular performances growing up that you saw on your litany of channels? Uh, you know, you mentioned Gary Oldman. But were there some other performances that you said, hmm, I want to incorporate that? Mm. This, this is acting. Because I think yeah. uh, if, whether you're a director, cinematographer, actor, what have you, everybody mm-hmm. has these different touchstones that they're like, oh, this is what acting is. Uh, or this is what directing is. What yeah, were yours? But my, my favorites uh, as a kid were Robert Mitchum and The Night of the Hunter. Uh, I was also a fan of uh, both Ingrid Bergman and Humphrey Bogart in Casablanca. Uh, and as a kid, like when it came to some of the more contemporaries, uh, Gary Oldman and like The Professional or Sid, or, uh, Sid and Nancy was uh, one of my favorites. And, um, uh, and in high school, I was on a bit of a Dion Day-Lewis kick, uh, although I never approached... Like uh, a My Left Foot kind of kick? My, my Left Foot. Uh, I, was in, I liked My Left Foot, and uh, I had a soft spot for Last Mohicans as well. Oh, and nice. Especially like, given that was like the film he did afterwards. Uh, now, I never approached a character the way that he does, because like, I, don't, I don't need to be these people like 24-7. You're not method? No, I'm not method. In fact, there are certain characters who I really would rather not uh, take home with me. Because, uh, I mean, I, one of the characters I played uh, before we did A Misconnection was, uh, I mean, you mentioned Pascal. Uh, we did this movie called Path of Egress. And uh, in that character, I play like this guy who wants to be part of this uh, cr- this, this crew of underground uh, crime and everything like that. And, and it's like, I don't want to ever take someone like that home with me ever like because the character's got to come off with the makeup it's got to you know the you become the character between action and cut like i don't i don't need to be this person afterwards i could think about the character every day for sure uh and yeah in certain characters like jake is like oh i do kind of see pieces of myself in there so tapping into that it's going to be it could be either really easy or it could be really difficult because it's a little bit too close to home for you but uh so yeah a lot of my fair performances oddly enough came from people who like would just stay in those characters for months like i think like dan day lewis lived out in the woods for like a few months right and of course the whole time i'm thinking i'll say that that man has spent a lot of time pooping in the woods yeah (laughs) a lot of time for a a big old paycheck too for for a big paycheck okay all right (laughs) the the thing that always fascinates me when i when we're speaking with actors is how and and i'm sure kimberly can touch on this as well um you mentioned uh tyler that when you first when you were a kid you found that you could kind of express yourself through the expression of other characters that aren't yourself right (laughs) that might that might have nothing to do with you might just be written by people like uh like matthew Mm -hmm. what what is it like to get on stage and feel as though you are expressing yourself and just feeling natural in front of a camera because i i can't speak for tom but for me that just seems like something that i i just kind of want to understand that a little bit more there's there's something freeing about it because you know that uh whenever the camera's on you and then whenever you're portraying this character like there's something freeing about the fact that what you're presenting is not really you so in a way you can kind of hide you kind of hide who you really are at the same time uh you have to make sure that whatever the character is going through is as believable and as honest as possible. So in a way there's something, there can be something kind of cathartic about, Oh, whenever you have to express pain or something like that, or sorrow, like there's some, there's some kind of catharsis in it and that, you know, that the sorrow, no matter how real it is, it's not really coming from you. Like there's, there's something, there's something really freeing and there's something very, uh, I don't know how it is. Uh, like the disposability of, yes. the, of the role uh, exactly. at the end of the day. Yeah. Cause at the end of the day, it's like, okay, I just put that, I put that aside and I just go home as me and then go back to work uh, the next day. And then, um, and then once it's all done, said and done, it's like, all right, I can now say goodbye to this character. And I look forward to seeing them again uh, in a different context when you put all the pieces together and you put it up on a big screen. So um, I believe as an artist, that you always bring yourself into no matter what you do. So like, that's why I was like, when Matt was writing his script and it seemed very personal, I was like, it seems like it's a part of you. And no matter what character I play, even in improv, no matter what sketch I write, it's always something from me. Even if the character is so far, even if I'm playing a white woman, I'm like this character, there's some part of me in it. Mm-hmm. I think that's how I process things. Mm-hmm. Um, even if it's dramatic and it's heavy, I'm always digging from something from me um and how i can relate to this character because sometimes i feel like and that's not for every actor not saying right or wrong but if i distance myself so far from that character where it's like i'm hiding myself i feel like my audience knows mm-hmm. I feel like they, that's interesting yeah. they can tell it's yeah. not genuine yeah. right right well, and obviously you uh, mentioned that you were at second city one of is the most legendary uh improv uh, institution probably in the entire country um 
what what do you like to bring from your improv experience into your various roles whether it be stage or screen absolutely um improv helped me play more um and to not just look at the words as like okay i need to memorize these lines it's just more of just being um and actually playing with it more where how would they say it this way or a different way it's just allowing me to be free and fluid in my acting i feel like especially even mm-hmm. on screen or on stage where it's like i'll say my lines differently and i'll be like that feels much better mm-hmm. yeah well because there, there's a certain level of play to all all of this and uh not to say that film is not uh, uh a very tightly constructed thing you know there mm-hmm. is there are shooting days there are shooting schedules things need to happen at a certain pace yeah but it is it's always nice to hear from an actor a director whoever that they feel that they are uh creating and playing and doing something different with each take instead of just saying well we got the shot yeah, let's move on that's a, that's a thing too and one thing i forgot to mention uh in terms of like just the art of creating this character is like it's it's a it's a great opportunity for me to get to understand somebody who isn't necessarily me mm-hmm. uh now someone like jake i actually identify with on a number of levels and so i i empathize with them right away and like there are certain characters on the opposite side of the spectrum where like oh these are people who i would never want to associate with these are criminals these are very bad people but you know at the end of the day that character is human mm-hmm. and so that's where you gotta like that's where i have to find the humanity and i'm mean, i have to express that through myself and then tap into my own humanity and just think oh perhaps if i was born under a different set of circumstances i'd probably wind up making the exact same mistakes mm-hmm. now in regards to jake uh this character it's like oh, I've actually made a, a number of those mistakes in my own life. And so it's interesting to kind of revisit that now that I'm a little bit older. And it made me think about it. And in a way, it, it kind of helped me kind of get work through some things, Matt. So thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Matt, tell us a little bit about the uh, release of this film. How, how soon can people see A Misconnection and where can they see it? Well, my we're wrapping it up and... We have a second trailer, which we'll release very soon, as well as a one-sheet, and then start the uh, film festival submission process. Uh, festivals here, like Midwest Independent, we're, uh, we're gunning for that. And mm-hmm. boy. I know you've had Amy Guth on here, so... Yeah, Amy's Amy's great. Um, you know, and the Midwest Independent Film Festivals, I think, would be a great place for a great venue for this to be shown um, because not just made by people who are in the community here, which is so important uh, to amplify the voices here, uh, but also there's a certain Midwestern melancholia to this. While it is a universal sort of thing, a misconnection, people feel this sort of thing all the time. I don't know, just seeing it set in the uh, in the Chicago winter right. and with people who are familiar with the city, uh, like I said, a little bit of that Midwestern melancholy yeah, that, that follows everybody, I think, during those winter months, all six of them. Yeah, when those um, papers just tumble <laughs> out of the briefcase, I was just like, yep. Yeah, fuck. <laughs> that's what he says. He says fuck right at the beginning. Yeah, <laughs> first slide of dialogue. Get it right out of the way. So I mean, and uh, the uh, I know that the uh, festival submission process is daunting. It's well, I've been through it before, and it's you're it's uh, you can potentially. I've been I've had this happen. You set yourself up for like this grand expectation, and you kind of find yourself let down, disappointed because I think the reality is and especially independent filmmaking it's just there's so many submissions to festivals and you just really don't have any control in regards to i mean i think it's only a matter of what you can do to help sort of stand out from the rest but you know all you can do is make the best film you can make and just accept that you have no control from there really it does seem with festival submissions that it it can almost literally be luck of the draw yeah yeah, Very you might much. just all of a sudden, and you might get accepted to a festival that you thought was just a total no go. You're just you'll like submit to, I don't know, like I, I, just uh, something in like Florida. What was it? I think Tallahassee Film Festival just <laughs> right. happened. And uh, you never know. You never no, know. You know. And um, you know, it'll it'll be very exciting to see the whole the whole thing, the whole kielbasa 
uh, of a miss. <laughs> Thank you, Tom. Yeah, that's, <laughs> is that not is that not good enough for you? That's not good enough for me, nor these fine people. Ass. All right. All right. Um, and until then, where can where can folks keep uh, updated about a misconnection? Well, we have a Facebook page and an Instagram. Uh, Facebook is at a misconnection. I think the A and the M and the C is capitalized in the Facebook page, and then on Instagram, it's at a misconnection, all lowercase. All right, and uh, Kimberly, Tyler, where can folks can should poke folks follow should you? Pokes? Oh my God, yes, pokes. Follow me um, <laughs> at, on Instagram at Suburban Black Girl. Uh, Black Girl has no vowels. And yeah, you can come see my second city show. It's oh, every yeah. motherfucking day except for Monday. Wait, seriously, <laughs> you perform every single every day. single day except for Mondays? Yes. My goodness. Yeah, so come. Oh my God. Just not on Monday. Just not on, not Monday. on Monday. Which is today. Go. I mean, if you haven't been to Second City, uh, I definitely recommend it. It's like again one of the most uh, one of the most legendary comedy institutions in America, and like the certainly premier, the best in the city. Certainly the best in the city. Uh, I forget. Is Im- Improv Olympic is completely different, right? Yeah, I know, but they're I, great as well. And great. Annoyance. Yeah, Annoyance Theater. I've yes. I've been to, but. Uh, Second City is always fantastic. Tyler, what about yourself? Where can people follow you? Uh, you can actually follow me at a number of places. On Instagram, there's my personal one, which is uh, Sui, that's S-U-I dot rot, R-O-T dot sip, S-I-P. It's my last name spelled backwards. Okay. And oh. Yes. So that's where you can find me. Sui Rot Sip. Sui Rot Sip. Yeah, instead of Astorius. And then uh, <laughs> I also have uh, another Instagram and a Facebook page that you can follow. Uh, they're both under the handles Mollusk Movie. Uh, and that is a short that I uh, that is currently in production right now. Uh, and actually, uh, uh, Mr. Weinstein over here is uh, helping out with that. He's uh, editing it and he's also uh, a production assistant on it. Okay. Uh, actually, a number Ooh. of roles that he's doing because <laughs> we, we're all having to wear a lot of hats in this one, and so. Uh, oh, it looks fucking great so far. That's awesome. No, thanks, thanks. And uh, you can also uh, find uh, a d- another uh, Facebook page. It's uh, Vital Indie Media. Uh, that's where you can. Uh, that's where I and uh, my uh, partner in crime, uh, Boogaloo Ojeda, Legendary uh, Lou, uh, all are going to be. Uh, putting a lot of our attention on independent films, including but not limited to the ones that are made here in Chicago. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, thank you all so much. Remember, the film is A Missed Connection. Uh, that is written and directed by Matt Weinstein and starring Kimberly Vaughn and Tyler Pistorius. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you guys all so much for coming in today. We really appreciate you spending your Saturday with us. And thank thanks you for inviting much. us. Thank you. Yeah, anytime. Okay. So uh, just a reminder to everybody, uh, decaf Don, Q&A. Intro. Intro. Drinks? Drinks? (laughs) uh, Micro Cinema. 67. Next to the 400. (laughs) The new 400. Not the old one. Not the old one. The better one. Uh, You've been listening to NoCo Cinema here on WGM Plus. We are your guide to cinema here in the city of Chicago. I am Tom Hush. And I am Connor Cornelius. And we will see you all next week.